I've seen marketing initiatives also do this. They'll spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours on producing the video and then 30 minutes doing the title and thumbnail at the end. Or, or just use the auto-generated thumbnail, which is ridiculous considering how much time was put into the video. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Poolside Podcast. This is episode 149, and I am excited for what I have in store for you. We are talking about YouTube, which I actually don't think we've talked about on this podcast yet, mostly because I don't know a lot of people that are successful on YouTube. <laughs> no offense to every content creator that I personally know, but no one quite is doing YouTube. And so um, I'm excited for Chris Jackson to be on this podcast. He takes us through his YouTube journey. So he makes videos um, about video games and he has grown to almost 16,000 followers. Um, and I find it super interesting just because, like I said, I haven't really talked a lot about YouTube. I've like dabbled in YouTube myself, but I find it very impressive because YouTube takes a lot of work. And so it's great to have someone on here to share his wisdom with us. So he talks about how he started, why he started and what the different chapters of growth have looked like and also what he's learned along the way. I think it's really interesting that he continually talks about how he goes back and he looks at the old content and he figures out how he can improve it for his current subscribers, but also how he can grow. So it's a lot of self brand auditing and platform auditing, which I think as also as a content creator, I feel like you don't do a lot of, or I personally don't do a lot of, so I guess I should start. Um, but you would do it just like you would do it for clients or for people that you're working for is to figure out what worked or what didn't work and then use that as a strategy to move forward. And I think it's, it's great to hear that that's how he has made his plan with content and now he live streams and everything that he's doing is based on what his subscribers are into, but also what the other data on YouTube is giving him for how to grow and what gets the most views and everything like that. So he talks about the analytics that he looks at and what he finds are the most, most important numbers. He also gives advice for people who want to start or grow a YouTube channel. And we also talk about how to monetize because I feel like people now know that you can make a great living off of YouTube if you do it right. So he he goes into the different ways that he's made money and also the ways that just people in general can make money off of YouTube. Um, it's a great, great interview. And I think it's really insightful for people who are interested in YouTube and content creation on that platform. So let's jump into it. Here is Chris Jackson. Welcome back to Poolside Podcast. I'm here Day virtually with Chris Jackson. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. We are going to talk all about YouTube today, but do you want to start with introducing yourself and giving us a little background into what you do? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Chris. Um, I am the digital marketing specialist at NCS Communications, um, and I happen to have a YouTube channel as well uh, called Tiny Blue Games. It's a channel I've been working on since I think 2013. And it's been kind of a, well, very much a side project slash hobby, uh, but something I've taken a bit more seriously, probably in the last two to three years, um, especially as it does align with obviously my interest in marketing and kind of growing stuff. So yeah, that's me. I find that so interesting. I feel like when people are in marketing, always their side hobbies are also somewhat related <laughs> to the internet or marketing. And then all you do is that's all you do is spend time on the internet, researching marketing, learning. And then I feel like it's good because then you learn how to do it yourself. You're like, now I'm kind of the guinea pig for everything that I can use for clients. Yeah, for sure. The case. Um, and it, it's something that for a long time, I tried to very much isolate from my professional career, because I think whenever we're making something that um, is a hobby or more personal, that it, it can feel quite embarrassing to talk about it, even if it does uh, if there is a level of success and, you know, it has shown, you know, that it's done stuff like, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff to it. Like everyone hates hearing their own voice. Everyone hates seeing their own content, but you have to understand that everyone feels that way. So okay, if you can get past really? that, you can take out a lot of uh, interesting stuff uh, from your, your hobbies and projects that you do. Totally. And Jonna, give us a quick, I know you said the name of your YouTube channel, but Jonna, just give us a rundown of kind of what it is, what kind of videos you post. Yeah, so the name's Tiny Blue Games. Um, as you might guess from the title, it is a gaming channel, which there's there's quite a handful of them on YouTube. 
Um, I specifically make videos about MMORPGs, which are massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Uh, <laughs> these are, I don't know if they're not like the most common genre of games. They're probably like medium if I had to give a population of them, but like the most common one is World of Warcraft. So a lot of people have probably heard of that game either in like pop culture references or actually played it. I don't exclusively make videos about that game. I make videos about all of those games and more commonly about comparing them um, and kind of reviewing them and that kind of stuff. Cool. And so when did you start that? So I'm assuming you played video games before you decided to go on YouTube. So then where was, what was the thought about posting on YouTube? Yeah. So I, I've played video games and that genre of video games for like quite some time. I, I can't, I don't know when, probably like when I was like 10 or eight or something <laughs> like that. Um, I wanted to do YouTube, um, I guess around 2013, which is when I started this channel. Um, I graduated from high school in 2012. So it was kind of coming out of uh, high school, um, getting into, I did university. I, I did my first year in engineering actually, and then transferred into business. Um, and I found YouTube to be a creative outlet. I originally started by doing a stop motion YouTube channel, interestingly enough, um, because I was really interested in the fact that you could make animation just by drawing and stuff like that. So I had like a little whiteboard and I, I would film it and do cool. kind of stop motion videos. This was at the time that Vine was a thing, uh, Twitter's product that was all about short videos. And I, I kind of did Vine and YouTube and had a very small amount of success. Um, <laughs> and then through that, I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I making stop motion uh, when there's such a demand for gaming videos and I already game? And this comes, this really aligns with one of my, my key things whenever you're doing YouTube, be it for your own personal project or for a marketing initiative or anything like that is it being a manageable activity. And by doing a piece of content that you're already making, in this case being gaming for me, it's giving me a ton of assets to use. Like if I just record some of my sessions, all of a sudden I have footage to play with. Um, and it makes it a lot more manageable, which has become very important, especially as I've, you know, transferred from being a student into having a full-time job and stuff like that, where I can't dedicate the hours that I, I could when I was a student. So it's been a really nice journey. I, I obviously stopped the stop motion portion of things. Um, I archived some of those videos somewhere just for fun and have really dedicated it mostly just to gaming at this point. Interesting. Yeah. That's so, it's so funny. I feel like we had very like similar pass on like the internet building a platform except for that I was doing blogging so same thing I was like in university yeah. and I was like I already write so how can I do something else with this and and same thing you just like start you do it because you already are doing it and then it just continues yeah. to grow but you do need to like want to do it and you have to already be doing it otherwise we probably wouldn't be doing it like 10 years later because yes the wanting <laughs> to do it is a a very important part of it. Yeah. If you're doing it just because you want the end result, it's going to be a very hard battle and you're likely not going to have the passion to go through the downs where you're not seeing any kind of return on it or any, any kind of, because totally. there's always that <laughs> even, even after you have some success, it'll go back down for a bit. And that's a really hard thing to, to deal with, um, during the journey. Yeah, definitely. And so what was the journey like then as you grew a following? Because I feel like same thing, especially, I mean, we knew people had followers and you can like become bigger, especially with Vine and like all the success, success people were having, but your intention was obviously not to have a following, but then it started to grow. So what was that like, as you were like, oh, people want to watch this? Yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, the first few video videos I did where anyone came, showed up <laughs> was very, <laughs> very exciting. Um, seeing comments and stuff like that. Um, I'd say like there, there's a few different like chapters to the story of growth kind of, I'd say like from zero subscribers to a thousands of important chapter, 1000 to 5,000 was quite a different time. And then this more recent 5,000 to, um, we're at to like 13,000 or something now was an even different time and much different time scales between them. One, one to 1,000, as most people say, is like much harder than actually right. going from 1,000 <laughs> to 5,000 or 5,000 to 13,000. So the 1,000 or zero to 1,000 period was quite interesting. Um, it was quite exciting because any level of engagement was 
awesome. Like right. <laughs> any kind of views, like 28 views in like 30 days is kind of how I started. I was like, wow, that's, that's someone's watching this. Um, one of the key growth things I did back then, and I didn't even really think of it as much of a, a marketing initiative as it was more of a, I don't know, community initiative, but my, my goal or my uh, promise to myself was to reply to every single comment I got. And that included toxic ones, which there will be, <laughs> as <Yeah>. well <laughs> as some of the very nice ones. But it was great. I replied to them. And I think it really increased the level of conversion I had from people who were watching and then turning them into subscribers. Um, and that really helped build out. And I remember doing that all the way up to a thousand subscribers where it became almost impossible. Right. Um, this was back before the pandemic, obviously, like it was probably like 2015, 2017 or something like that, um, where I was still traveling and stuff. And I'd often have a few videos that would come online. Like I'd, I'd schedule them to post while I was away. And then I'd be in airports waiting for my flight and answering comments for like literally four hours straight. That's what I would do while I was waiting for the plane. And it was great because I could catch up on them because uh, I'd often I'd get like maybe a, a month worth of content behind because of how many comments were coming in at that point. And it was a lot of fun to do that, but it became, <laughs> it became unmanageable at a thousand. And I, I actually, like in a lot of my videos, I would start talking about, Hey, this is something I was doing. This is something that can't happen. And now I, I try to make sure I answer the top comments because they do kind of sort them based on uh, likes and stuff like that. So at least if multiple people share that opinion or think it's an interesting comment, I can get to that. Right. Um, moving forward, there's now I have members on my channel and I try to make sure I get the members comments first. And then I try to get the top comments so that there's ways that this has evolved. But if you're just starting out, I think trying to answer every single comment is one of the easiest like time investments you can do to get return and have people stay. I um, mean, like I said, even if it's a negative comment, if it's someone that's saying, Hey, this video, um, the video title sucks compared to what's in the content or something like that. You know, I say, Hey, uh, thanks for the feedback. I will try to like look at that in future videos. Um, and I always thank them for watching because like no matter what, they've watched the video, they've added a comment. YouTube sees negative comments and positive comments as engagement on your channel or on your video. So it does help in terms of getting views. If there apps like if there's anything that's like, you know, slurs or something like that, I will remove those comments because there's not much you can do. But if it's negative about, you know, the quality or there's an actual good intent negative portion to it, I try to reply. Right. Well, I think that like applies to all platforms. I think when you're yes. trying to build a community, it's you owe these people, you don't owe them, but like they're watching your content and you need someone to watch it. So you might as well engage with them and thank them for taking their time. Cause especially like, especially nowadays when everybody is a content creator, they have a lot of options. And so if they're taking the time to watch, and then like you said, even if it is negative, they're still commenting. So you should engage with that for sure that's yeah I do most of my videos um like right after work I find that's when my my voice is the best and then I'll sometimes stream or do a video in the morning and they'll be like wait is this still this is still you? <laughs> like do you smoke <laughs> <laughs> well and it, it taught me a valuable lesson because sometimes if I do a longer video um they'll be quite like sometimes I go up to 25 minutes 30 minutes when you look at the voice recording required for that it'll be quite like hours of like takes. Right. And if I do some in the afternoon and then I try to start the project again in the morning, it, it does not sound the same in the <laughs> editing. I'm like, these are two different people. Right. So, that's so funny. I'm very careful to make sure that I can like complete the uh, activity in the time I started. So at least it's consistent throughout the whole video. Right. Um, but that, <laughs> that's that was a great an, tip for that. people who are doing that. Make sure your, your voice, voice sounds, sounds different <laughs> at different times throughout the day. Um, obviously, if you're sick, that's another one. But uh, that one's maybe more obvious. But yeah, so that's that's kind of chapter one, like going from there. Um, like I said, I couldn't focus on comments as much. A thousand to five thousand was a pretty big growth spurt, I'd say, in terms of audience members. And it's because I, I introduced a new game that I was playing. And with that came kind of a following of people who uh, really appreciated that game and that content. Uh, the game was Final Fantasy XIV for any, anyone who's curious. Um, but what was really nice there is I was actually um, invited by members of their content creation community uh, to kind of join for a podcast much like this, um, where I discussed kind of my experience and kind of getting into that game and stuff. And it, it gave me a bit of exposure, which was nice. Um, and any kind of opportunity you have to kind of collaborate 
especially when you are going into the different audience pools is a really nice thing because it, it does get your name out there. You're all of a sudden talking to their audience. Um, your audience is also seeing them for the first time too. So that's kind of why they want to do it, right? Because they do see, hey, you have a thousand subscribers. I could talk to, the, to those uh, thousand subscribers. So it was really cool that way to do a collaboration um, and kind of connect. It's been interesting too, because one of my big rules on YouTube or has been my big rule is to not show my face. That very much comes from that kind of trying to separate the corporate and the uh, the um, hobby side of things. It's something that has become maybe less important to me. I still haven't made any changes towards that, but it, it was a challenge because I was like, hey, I'll do your podcast or I'll do your video, but I'm just going to have my icon. And right. people are generally okay with it. It's a little challenging because they they showed their face and they were talking and stuff like that. So um, I worked on having like an icon that had some animations to it to make it look more real or more like alive. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how we did that. But it was a really good start to that journey. And then it pretty quickly started to blow up to the 13,000. Um, that's where I started doing a lot of videos that kind of compared MMORPGs. So now I was getting into multiple different um, audiences and looking like someone who you know, just had opinions on the the genre of gaming in total. And that kind of helped grow that up a lot um, to where we are today. Cool. No, I think it's, it's good to walk through that journey because I do feel like, like you said, it's like in chapters where it's yeah. different levels of success, different levels of growth. And then you have to kind of adapt what you're doing to fit what the audience is looking for, or just like, as you grow, obviously like over the years, people want to watch different things or di other people are doing other things that you need to you don't need to do them, but I feel like you have to evolve your content as well for people to stick around. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I know you talked a little bit about the avatar that you use, but how has your personal brand grown and what have you learned about personal branding? And then how have you now transferred that to clients that you worked with? Yeah, um, the avatar is very interesting because once again, before I got heavy into marketing, I didn't even think this is my logo. This is my brand. <laughs> like, like I was like, oh, you just need a profile pic. I may as well make it be kind of a cool character or something like that. So I and you can actually go back through the videos of my channel and you'll see different iterations of the same logo like at the start it was very much like a pen to paper kind of look of it and I took I think a picture of it and used it as the logo <laughs> the next one is probably what I would call classify as like paint level creation of it so Microsoft Paint like a very uh like a step up from the drawing but very crude compared to this this one was one that I created in Photoshop and actually transferred into a vector format um using free software which is great that you can have access to all this. I, I didn't have the money for licensing at the time, but I don't know. It, it's something very personal that has grown with the channel. And it's a very, um, I don't know. I'm very, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Like I'm proud of the channel, but I'm proud of a piece of art that I've made that I'm like, this looks pretty cool. Right. <laughs> uh, Cause it's evolved to the point now where I can make, I've kind of like made emoji versions of it that use emotion and I can put that on thumbnails, but I also use it in, uh, I do a lot of live streams now. So you can have emojis that the chat can use and it kind of makes it an active part of the community to have these kind of facial expressions um, and ways of using your logo, which is really cool. So dialing that back into Anstice's work and uh, just general marketing is the importance of your brand and like how it can like really encompass a lot of different parts of the business. Like it, it sounds like just such a small thing when you say, oh, we need a logo or something like that. But it, it does become such a identifier, um, especially if you can use it in different um, situations. Like my favorite one is the Google logo and how they kind of customize it um, like you'll see, obviously, the, the Google uh, art thing where they kind of use it in different like uh, art way, artistic ways for different days, but also for different products, they'll have like different um, uses of it that kind of incorporates the logo into the, the product style. Um, so I, I think that's really cool. And there's there's a lot of unique things you can do with logo. I mean, I'm obviously not um, chiefly in charge of uh, creative content or branding uh, in terms of Anstice, but it is really interesting to see that. Um, and it shows up everywhere. Uh, one of my favorite things, and this is kind of more the, the chapter that I'm in now for growth, is when you interact on YouTube and you're in that, like I'm on my Tiny Blue Games, Games account, when I leave a comment on another video, it has my logo. And that's actually a lot of power. So what I find as a good growth tactic now 
is if there's someone who's making a video in my my genre, the MMORPG world, um, and it's someone that I know or some or at least a content creator that's pretty popular, I'll go and watch the video, leave a content with my own thoughts and saying, hey, great video or something like that. The the comment will often get like 100 to 200 likes because people recognize me. And then I'll have a bunch of comments like on my comments saying, hey, I love your content and stuff like that. But what's really nice is that it kind of makes it one of the top comments on that video that's going to see a much bigger audience than any of my videos would. And it's a great way to expose my brand. And it's also really easy. Someone can click through my name and go to my channel. So it's one of the newer ways I've tried to engage. There's a... Um, a certain level that you can do without like, you don't want to be kind of spam or something like that. Like if you're on every single right. video of some content creator, they're going to be like, okay, I see what you're doing here. But if not, like if you're just watching it, like you would, cause I, I do enjoy the content myself that I'm making. Um, and you just like having your actual comments, it is a really good tool. So there's, there's obviously a fine line for any kind of marketing initiative. Um, I think there's a lot of things in marketing that can easily become spam if it is done at a high frequency or something like that, but done in good faith, it, uh, it's a really easy way to kind of engage. And if you're doing it anyways, if you're watching those videos, why not do that? Right. Totally. And I think that shows also the to keep your branding similar and to be patient with your logo that people will eventually recognize it if you keep yes. using it rather than like switching it all the time or being like, oh, there's something that's cooler now. So I'm going to change it where it gets people lose that like brand recognition. And so you need to stick with at least an iteration of what you started with. Yeah. Like if you look back at the very, like, it's just a modernization of it. Like it's right. very clearly yeah. the same thing. And then also I kept the tiny blue games name the whole way through, which once again, is from nowhere. It's just, I was like, these three words sound kind of cool together. Uh, and I just went with it. And I start most videos by saying, Hey, welcome back uh, to tiny blue games today. We're going to be talking about blank. And that kind of gets that, that brand exposure right within the first five seconds of the video. Totally. I got stuck with that when I did almost famous as my Twitter handle in 2006. <laughs> and then it just, you can't get rid of it. You're just like, well, I guess people recognize it. So you just have to go with it and play off yeah. of it. No, for sure. Um, and so also for you and then for clients as well, I know because I work with you at NSD, so I know what you do there, but you do a lot of like analytics and data. And so what analytics from your personal YouTube are you paying attention to, to determine like what type of videos to make or like what type of content is really resonating with your audience? And then second question to that is then how do you take that again and translate it for clients? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and it's it's particularly interesting um, because you you said uh, what's resonating with my audience, and also what do I track? And oftentimes, videos that will resonate very well with my subscriber base, like my thirteen thousand, won't necessarily be videos that will do very well in terms of growth for my channel. And that's one of the hardest things I have to manage because I want to keep my current audience happy, but I also want to make videos that will expand my channel. Um, so for instance, I, I know I have a lot of subscribers that um, play a couple specific games. And if I make videos about those games or like a very small, like specific piece of content within those games, they'll be very happy to watch that. However, making a very narrow focused content like that, I won't be able to achieve, you know, 10,000 views to a hundred thousand or 200,000 views that like my more successful views, uh, viewed videos would get, which bring in much more subscribers and obviously much more, um, views to the channel, which converts to revenue and stuff like that. So it's a very interesting, uh, balancing app between the two of them. And it's something I'm constantly trying to like, say, you know, am I going to do two videos for subscribers this month and then two that are more growth focused? And it's not to say that the subscribers won't like the growth focused stuff, but it's, it's definitely a hard act. I try to be very upfront with the subscribers and say like, Hey, this is kind of my content plan for now. You can expect to have two videos about these games or whatever. And I'm going to try and do the other two like that. So just the transparency level is very important. I think. Um, in terms of actual data and what I look at, the, the biggest ones I believe are the click-through rate for the video, as well as the average view duration. Um, YouTube's pretty clear that those are pretty key indicators for them. The, the average view duration makes a lot of sense. Their goal is to keep people on YouTube as long as possible. And if your videos have a longer period of time of people watching them, that's a, a clear win for them. Um, and then click-through rate, obviously, being if you, you see an impression of video clicking through to actually watch it, showing that people have an interest in that subject, 
that content that you're putting out. Uh, so those are the two metrics that I particularly watch. Um, and kind of going back to that same conversation, I'll often see that, you know, if I make a video for my subscribers, my view retention or average view duration is quite high, but the click-through rate might be abysmal for like the rest of YouTube, like, cause YouTube will try and expose it to people outside of my audience. And they often don't care as much when it is more catered to my audience. Right. Um, so that's kind of where that falls off. Whereas interestingly, if I do a video that's more for general public, the click-through rate might be high. Um, and then the average view duration might be lower than a video for my dedicated audience, but it does get the exposure to go higher. Um, so it is a, a bit of a balancing act, but if I had to choose between the two, click-through rate does seem to be the one that gets you the potential to have hundreds of thousands of views. Um, I think the, the average view duration will just make it so it kind of like falls off of the algorithm earlier than if you had, if you did both, that's obviously the best case scenario and it'll be a long lasting wide reaching video, which is just great. Um, so I guess the way I break down my content is I have a couple of videos a month that are maybe more focused at view duration and a couple that are more focused on getting that click through rate. I don't know if it's as cut and dry when I actually make the content, but that's kind of <laughs> looking back at it, how it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so those are kind of the things I look at. It's a little harder. Um, I mean, if you're, you know, if I was talking to someone from an, like through my channels at Anstees to try and help them with their organic content, um, it, it really depends. I think if you had no following, it actually opens you up to a lot of opportunity, which is interesting because I, I really love my subscriber base and having that community, but I do feel like I have to always keep them happy because like I've built that audience. If you have, if you're starting from blank, you can really do a lot with your channel and not feel that you can really focus on the, you know, going for the audience topics that are more broad and still align with your product or your service or your idea, but are much broader reaching. And it allows you to kind of expand that way. So I think, you know, it's often the, the blank paper scenario where people are like, oh, starting from nothing sounds so intimidating, so daunting, but it, it is actually a lot of opportunity that you can try and experiment things without uh, feeling responsible for a specific category of people. Like I often consider making like a secondary YouTube channel just to try out this, this like one idea that I had instead of doing it on my own. But I always talk myself out of it. Um, it's just an interesting, an interesting kind of balancing act. Totally. And I feel like that does happen to a lot of content creators where you do end up in a niche and you can't quite get out of it. And if you want to, then you risk losing basically everybody that cared about what you were doing. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I think the big thing is just to be trying, like if you are going to try that on your main channel or your main platform, just saying, Hey, I'm going to try this on my main platform. <laughs> like it, it is, it goes so far. Like I say it in a lot of videos, but YouTube also has um, a community tab now. So you can kind of post things like you would on Facebook or something like that. Um, they also have like shorts now too. So you could, like, there's a lot of ways you could communicate that you're going to be trying this for the month. Right. <laughs> and typically if your subscribers at least see that they're not thinking, Oh man, he's, they've switched to do this content. I have to leave or whatever. Right. So you can do a little bit to help yourself that way. Totally. And I feel like if you've built that community, like you said, if you've been re replying to comments and like being engaging, then most likely your subscribers will be more open to you than trying new things. Yeah, for sure. Um, and when it comes to the actual, like making the video, what are the best practices that you found for video thumbnails, titles, captions, like all of that kind of stuff, the SEO, all the nitty gritty yeah. that actually goes into like the post-production of the video. No. And that's something I've taken a lot more serious in the last two years. Um, and even more serious as I've tried to kind of go back and analyze it this year um, while working at Sneeze, I'm like, what has been successful? And I, so going back to that click-through rate and average view duration, um, what I'll do now, if I'm making a video for the purpose of it getting seen by lots of people, which Sounds funny because that should be the purpose for most videos, you'd think. But if it, it's one of those ones that is like about hitting the broader audience more than anything, I'll think of the title and the thumbnail specifically before I even make the video, kind of starting the, the cover of the book before you make the book, which sounds bad for writing, but it actually helps a lot because it allows me to think of the most captivating title. Like I'll have a general idea of what I want to make. And I'll be like, I want the title to be able to say this. And I want the thumbnail to be able to look like something like that. And if I do that at the start and then make the video uh, so that it's very heavily linked that way, um, you kind of actually avoid 
more of the chance of clickbait. Whereas if, if you go the other way and make the video you're going to make, and it ends up being like that, and you're like, man, I really wish I could title it this, or I really wish I could have a thumbnail that looks like this, but it's not as true to the video, you've run into issues. So that's kind of something I've, I've been trying to do with more of those big videos is I'll do a title, I'll do a thumbnail. Um, for some of them, I'll do a script. I'm often someone who has more often just kind of improvised the videos and talked at length throughout them. I think there's something nice to that. And I do that with the community ones because I think it's more intimate in a lot of ways. Uh, but for those bigger videos where I really want to sound focused and to a point and more cleaned up, I'll try and write a script as well. Um, and it, it might be a loose script where I just have like kind of an organization of the ideas. Once again, to have more of the interesting um topics that are for sure linked to the title and stuff early on and really keep that engagement to try and boost that average view duration. Um, I'll often do that. So I'd say for myself, it is really planning things out in advance and seeing what's, you know, what's going to be done and then taking the time on those items. I think that certainly myself as a content creator, but also I've seen marketing initiatives also do this. They'll spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours on producing the video and then 30 minutes doing the title and thumbnail at the end, or, or just use the auto-generated thumbnail, which is ridiculous considering how much time was put into the video. Because I'd, I'd say like they are equals. It, it, they should be treated almost as equals because it's what's going to help people find and actually watch your video. Um, so I, I'd say that's the biggest kind of disconnect when it comes to content creation. It's something I did and I think a lot of other creators do, but it's something I see for sure in business situations is that it's all about because we're using it often as advertisement as well. And that's fair that, you know, if you're paying for people to see it, that's one thing, but you want to get that organic growth too. So taking the extra time, making a custom thumbnail that's engaging, that works with the video is such a huge step. Right. And like you said, you spend, especially for marketing initiatives, they spend so much money on the actual so video. So then why why just let it like drop off without putting the effort into the other parts of it, which are, like you said, equally as important as what the content is. Cause if people don't click on it, well, then no one's going to watch it. So now it's exactly a waste of all of it. Yeah. And I know you touched on it a little bit with having like a blank slate to start with, but if you were going to start and grow a YouTube channel today, which is obviously a different world of the internet and how the platform works and the algorithm and all that, how would you go about that? Oh man, that's, <laughs> you that's even a, start one <laughs> what, actual question. I probably would start one. Like I say, I often have like, um, aspirations to, to start a new one and just see how quickly things could go. It really depends on what the purpose of the channel was for. Uh, for instance, if it's like, you know, just to be a YouTuber to like make a, a, a life as a YouTuber, like if that was your goal for it, I think very carefully about what niche you wanted to be in, you know, is it something a, once again, that's manageable that you can make content that you can speak about and want to speak about, cause you're going to be making a lot of content for it. <laughs> if it's about making money from YouTube though, a very important consideration is that the amount of money you can possibly make in terms of revenue and sponsorships and stuff is wildly different in each different niche. Gaming, for instance, is like, I'd say low to medium for the, the amount of views you get compared to the amount of money you can get just because of the amount of gaming channels and stuff like that and how much gaming companies are willing to pay. Financial, uh, like if you were to make a channel about, you know, how to budget for your life or something like that those niches have a really high dollar per thousand of views that you can, you can make. So it's a very interesting question that way. So if you, if you were interested in the YouTube lifestyle, that might be a very interesting question for you. If it was more for a marketing marketing initiative, I would look at the, the idea like that you want, if it's a product or if it's like a service, there's something you're trying to get there and then look at the most interesting type of content that you can possibly make with it. One of my favorite examples is the will it blend series where it's just, you know, it's about the performance of a blender, but they're just tossing stuff in it. Like there's so many <laughs> channels on YouTube that look at that. Like you often see like big crushers, like crushing things and stuff like that. And they, they do really well because people are, it's like such a, a click bait thing, but it's actually delivering on it. You're totally. like, I'm going to see what this is going to like blend into. Um, so if I was starting it from, from nothing, um, and let's say it's just for a personal project, cause that probably, um, would align with me. I'd probably do a gaming thing once again, because that's 
mostly what I make my content about. And I think I, I also have the resources for it. I have a good program that like records me while I, I play games. I have like a lot of the knowledge of gaming and stuff like that. So it would kind of transfer well that way. I'd probably do a different genre of gaming. I don't exclusively play MMOs. So I, I'd maybe tap into one of those other <laughs> fields and I'd start making content. Uh, I once again do, I will reply to every comment for the first thousand subscribers kind of thing. Um, I'd maybe try and interact with creators in those genres earlier on instead of kind of waiting for them to interact with me uh, and specifically content creators that are smaller because the larger ones might be interested for some reason but they're probably not but if it's someone who you know has 500 subscribers and you're starting out with five that is actually a pretty large jump and being able to like I don't know, make content with them, or if you're watching their streams and like chatting with them and you're getting your, your brand, which once again is shown in the stream with the logo and the icon exposed to people. And then all of a sudden they see in the videos recommendation, they see once again, that brand name and the, the logo, they're like, oh, I saw this person in that stream that one time I'll jump in. Uh, so there's a lot of ways you can kind of build up that way. I think being more present in the YouTube community is kind of what I'd, I'd try and do. Um, whereas for my own channel, a, a lot of those things, like, I don't know if YouTube even had live streaming back in 2013. I really doubt it did. Yeah. Um, a lot of those things have come online since then. So I think there's a lot of those tools that I would help, uh, use to help build the first part of the, the story a bit more. Right. And then there are so many things that you can do because there's so many other tools even just on YouTube, like not even like all the other platforms that you could also expand on. But like you said, like you could do lives and shorts and your actual videos. And there's so many more options to reach more people than you probably had back when you started. Yeah, for sure. And, and to that point about other platforms, there is a lot you can do of other platforms. Um, I, I typically try to do YouTube as much as I can because it, it speaks to the most of my audience. Like most people are going to see it if it's on YouTube because that's where all my audience lives. Um, I do use a couple other platforms, um, notably uh, Twitter, Reddit, and Discord. So I use Discord kind of as a additional community area where my most interested subscribers will go. Um, and I have a, a discord bot that'll post a link to the video that I post whenever it gets posted. So it's kind of another notification system. Cause I know that YouTube one doesn't always serve to everyone. And that way people who absolutely don't want to miss a live stream, absolutely don't want to miss a video can go there. It's also a place for me to talk to people. Although I'm notoriously bad for talking to people <laughs> regularly there. I'm like, if I'm going to answer something, it's the YouTube comments first. And then I get there. So it's a little bad that way. Um, but it is nice because I've even done voice chat, like with a few subscribers and stuff like that in there and kind of engaged on a much deeper level, um, which really comes into kind of memberships and live streams, which is a, I'd say something I've started on my channel in the last year and a half. So that's a, a much newer frontier for me, but something that's very interesting. Uh, just to touch on the other two platforms, I use Twitter. Um, I've only, I've got 200 followers, which is something, but it's like comparative to the 15,000 subscribers isn't a ton, but it's an easy way that you can like say, Hey, I'm launching a video and you can tag or, um, you know, hashtag get like the, the gaming channels or the, the games themselves. Um, and you can get some exposure there. I often don't get a ton. Um, and then Reddit's a really interesting one because it, it can be incredibly good or incredibly bad, depending on how you, you play it, because there are these specific subreddits for the games that I, I play. And if I happen to make a video that's seen as good content and is allowed by the moderators to stay on there and then also allowed by the Reddit people to be seen as a good content and upvoted it can be incredible at bringing views in. Uh, but it's extremely difficult because it can also be seen as, seen as spam, seen as um, self-promotion, which is not loved in a lot of channels. Um, so I'd say it's a very tricky place, but I've had a few that have done really well, especially early on that have been seen. So if it is... I, I would recommend looking into it, especially, you know, look at your niche, look at the channels there, look at the rules each of the subreddits have and see if there is content that has been posted that's similar to what you're going to make and see how it's been received, see if it's in there, see if, you know, how they've positioned it and stuff like that. But I, I do think it is an, a really powerful stepping stone if you are trying to get, you know, your first little bit of traffic to your channel, like your first few fans or something like that. It's incredibly powerful. Totally. And I feel like, again, going back to like all the effort you put into videos, even from like a personal perspective, then why not put that extra effort into other platforms where you can reach other people as well? To me, Reddit yeah. seems like a 
a really insane place. So I don't go on Reddit, but, but even Twitter, like I used to run a gaming company's Twitter for like two years and did like live tweeting for streams and stuff like that. And like gaming Twitter is a wild place too. Like people are there. And so I feel like there's a lot of other platforms that you can reach those people that will then direct them back to your YouTube and your videos. And then that's obviously what you want. No, for sure. I think, I think that's a really good, like Twitter, I could, I could probably do a lot more on Twitter. Um, I think it comes back to that question of what's manageable for you. And, and that's the thing. Cause I, at one point I tried a Facebook page or an Instagram thing. And I was like, I'm just not, I'm not making content here. So the, the absolute most I can do is Twitter, discord, Reddit, and YouTube. And even then it's like 90% YouTube. And then I, I dedicate a little tiny bit of time to those other three, probably discord, Reddit and Twitter, just because uh, I think I can set up Twitter to automatically once again, send when I'm doing a video or something like that. So it's kind of a, a nice, easy thing that you can do. I don't know if I am currently doing that or not. I don't know. I, I'm revising my Twitter strategy, right. <laughs> but it is manageable because it could seem when you start, you know, I need to be on all these platforms right away. And I think that's a, a risk that you fall into where you spread yourself too thin. Totally. Um, so it is whichever ones you enjoy using and then whichever ones align with your, your content as well. Right. No, exactly. And then my last question, which I know people are always wanting to know is how you make money on YouTube. That's like people's first questions. They're like, I want to grow my platform, but how do you make money? <laughs> well, it, and it's a very exciting question. Cause like you can make pretty good, like it's, it's a, a valid career choice. If you were able to grow it uh, big enough, it, it's obviously a kind of a risk reward thing. Cause you can put a ton of time in it and get nothing. And that's why there's the chance that the people who do put a lot of time in and it does work out, you, you can do something as well. So um, there's a few different ways you can make it. There is the actual Google or YouTube ads program, which if I think you have to have a thousand subscribers and 4,000 watch hours to apply for it now, I don't know if those were the rules when I first made it or not, but you know, if you don't have those two things, you're not going to be making much money anyways. So it, it's, you know, not <laughs> really as bad as it sounds. Um, and it can quickly snowball to that point. Um, so assuming you did that, you would be able to make money on ads and you can choose what types of ads you run on your, your videos, as well as how many ads you have on your videos. I don't know if there's kind of like branching stages of what they allow you to do in terms of like deciding that, Uh, but you have access to that and you do get a certain amount of money for people who watch. You'll also get stats on your channel, for instance, like the, uh, I think it's the average revenue per a thousand views or something like that. And it'll give you kind of a breakdown of how that money comes in. Uh, To my earlier point, the amount of money you'll get per a thousand views is wildly different depending on the niche you're in. So if you're someone who is becoming a YouTuber to do it as a profession, it's a, it's an important question to ask yourself and kind of, there's a lot of um, data just on Google. If you were to look up like how much money each of these niches would make, I'm sure actually a lot of content creators also talk about this who have experimented. Uh, so there's a lot of information you can get that way, but that's the one way that's the most consistent way I make money on YouTube. Um, the next way would be sponsorships. Um, you are essentially a micro influencer and you will, I'd say even at a thousand subscribers start to get approached by people. The best way to do that is to, in your about you part of YouTube, you put a YouTube specific email that you're going to check for that purpose and use as that communication channel. Um, so that's the way you can do that. Generally, as you get more subscribers, you'll see a more quality sponsors and better sponsors contact you. Um, on my way to thirteen thousand, like at thirteen thousand, I probably get approached at least once per month by just anything. A lot of them are not at all worth pursuing, <laughs> and I think one of the hardest things is to determine what is like pursuing because obviously it could even be like a scam or something like that. There's a lot of vetting you have to do. Um, typically it's, you know, if it's a brand that, you know, or that you've seen somewhere before, if you've seen other YouTubers use it as a sponsor, that's another one. Um, for instance, I, I had a, a sponsorship from like a, almost a, a VPN provider of some sort. And I saw that another channel, the channel actually that did kind of a podcast with me when I was going into that, that other gaming, uh, space, they had it as a sponsor. So I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, these people are reaching out to me. Are they on the up and up? Like, what can I expect? They told me everything. I went ahead with that sponsorship. And that's kind of the very first time I, I signed a deal like that. Um, and it was nice because they they paid me a lump sum to make a dedicated video about their product. And then I got a referral code that I could just attach and use on any of my future videos that I was going to like 
loosely talk about them. There are a lot of rules in terms of, you know, you have to kind of be very clear that you have a sponsorship. So um, even, and it's, it's difficult because it's different depending on the country you're in for a lot of these referral links and stuff like that. I err on the side of being absolutely cautious and just putting as much information. Like I'll have, there's a little box in YouTube where you say, this is a sponsored video. I'll put that even if I've just got a referral link and I'll often say, Hey, this link, like I'll say this link is prefer a referral link. I, you know, it helps the channel, whatever wording you want to make to make it, you know, nice to your subscribers, but also very transparent that this is a, a sponsorship. So that's a big one. Um, the next one after that though, was even bigger. I was able to be partnered with one of the games I made content with. Um, so with that, I got a referral link to anyone who wanted to play that game, um, and pay for it and like actually buy a, uh, like the base game, or they also had free trials. And I had a link for that, which was really easy. Cause it's much easier to say, Hey, this link supports me. And it's a free way to try this game. Like it's a pretty easy sell at that point. So those are kind of the, the two major sponsorships I've ever made deals with. And then the last thing that's more recent is the live streaming. So um, live streaming opens up a lot of different avenues. You can have it monetized. So you can have regular ads run like you would for a regular video. So you, you can do that. Um, you can have memberships, which is a newer thing that I've been experimenting where people actually pay you a monthly fee to be a member to your channel. Um, they get exclusive access to things. If you want to give them that they get the ability to use custom emojis, um, you can pretty much offer, you know, it's, it's like a Patreon status. You can offer what you think is valuable. Um, I launched that, I think at the start of 2020. And, um, I think I've got like 20 members at this point, which is interesting. Cause if you'd asked me before I launched it, if anyone would ever sign up to my content <laughs> on a monthly basis, I would have said no categorically, no. <laughs> um, but no, like you, you can very easily undervalue your content and not understand the the con the value people are getting from it. Um, I price the membership quite low. It's like the the cost of like a, a you know a very cheap coffee really per month. So it's it's not much money, but it, it's it's actually the most consistent source of revenue because I know that as long as they're subscribed, that's going to come in. Um, it is, however, because of that that I also feel additional pressure to keep up regular content to that subscriber base. Cause now I have people who are paying for it. So if I go ahead and start making videos, they're kind of outside of that genre by, a, well, not even the genre, but that game by a bit, I feel a bit more guilt. So it's being very clear with those people. Once again, um, the last thing you can do for live streams is donations that actually happens, um, enough. Uh, certainly when I first did my first live stream, I had a bunch of donations come in because people were very excited that I was live streaming finally. So that was a lot of fun. And I also had a lot of like people show up to that one. Like, I think it was like, it peaked at like 200 or 300 concurrent viewers, uh, which is quite a bit in terms of uh, live streaming numbers. Whereas my more regular streams, I try to do one per month or something now might be, you know, peak at like 50 concurrent viewers, which is a much smaller number, but is, is actually pretty good considering the subscriber amount. Like it's, it's very interesting uh, comparison between views and concurrent viewers. Cause like a lot of people could tune in just for a period of the stream uh, whereas concurrent, obviously having them all there at a certain period of time. But uh, those are all of the ways I think you can, well, I make money. I'm sure there's even more ways you could make money on YouTube. I guess the last one that I'm loosely looking at now is merchandise. Obviously we talked about my logo, my branding, it is my artwork. So I can make, you know, merchandise with it, uh, which once again, if you asked me before I release it, I'm going to say absolutely no one would buy this ever. Um, but based on that last experiment I did, I'm going to be like, hey, maybe someone will want a tiny blue games shirt or something like that. At the very least, I'm going to get like a nice hat with my logo on totally. it, <laughs> which will which will be fun. Um, so that's something I'm working on. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. There's some uh, merchandise programs that are even like linked with YouTube. So you can actually have the products below your video if, if those um, companies work for you. If not, there's a lot of other companies like I'm exploring Redbubble, I think is one that allows you to pretty easily import your, uh, your uh, vector files that I have for my logo and make stuff pretty seamlessly. So that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. I don't have much information on how it's going to work out, but it's uh, my next step. Cool. No, that's, I launched merch like a year ago, I think. And same thing, more just like, that'd be cool if like yeah, right? someone wanted to have a logo on it. And now I, I own lots of my own merch which is great but it was interesting <laughs> exactly. just like the who bought it 
and like who said they were going to buy it, but then didn't buy it. And then which yep. pieces, like I, I don't wear ball caps, but I did toques with like my little logo on it. And those did great, which was just like an add on. I was like, Oh, it'd be cool to just have like a cheaper yep. thing. Cause I have like a t-shirt, a sweater, and then a toque and like the toques all sold out. And I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, that's weird, but, <laughs> but cool. It's, it's not what you think, right? Like, cause yeah, totally. people people are different. So I, I think it's, it's interesting to think that way. Like you might think your audience wants one specific thing and they might want something completely different. So it, it totally. opening up the most amount of possibilities is always a good option. Yeah. And then I, and I don't know if it's a mistake or not, but like I'm sitting surrounded by boxes of it because I didn't do a drop ship thing. I like ordered oh, all of them bought- so that you I could like not pay all. as much, yeah, which, yeah. you know, long-term wise will probably pay off because you, you probably like aren't losing as much on each order or whatever. Yeah. It's in there, there's a lot of options. That's kind of what I'm weighing through right now yeah. is where I want to do it's, things. So, yeah. And then once you start looking into it, you're just like, there's so many options. I wanted to be able to control the like packaging of it since right. I do a lot of like influencer unboxing things. I was like, oh, I want it to like have a sticker and like tissue paper, like, you know, like make it very Smart. Yeah, 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 unboxable. So that's why I bought it all. But now it's like, surrounding me in my office so you know there's pros, <laughs> there's and, pros cons. and cons <laughs> no fair enough awesome well that was great and where can people find and connect with you i'm sure by now they know the name of your channel but- yeah so if for youtube reasons you want to connect with me tiny blue games is the place to to do it um once again in the about section you'll find a, a you know a youtube or a email uh that's uh linked to that account um and you can communicate through there uh be it you know, as a fan, or if you just want more information, I do have a lot of smaller YouTubers that like kind of ask questions through there and I, I'm pretty good at answering it. There's also the Discord channel that you can find links to as well, um, though you might want be more successful at emailing me. <laughs> uh, and then if you're interested in marketing stuff, Anstey's Communications, you'll find Chris on, I don't know if I'm, there isn't a team page, but we're not on if, the website. <laughs> If you send an informa- uh, an email to cjackson at Anstis or just the general info at Anstis, you'll probably find me eventually. Yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate all your YouTube wisdom. I find it super interesting because I only dabbled in YouTube. So I like to hear about what it's really like to be a YouTuber. I find it very interesting. No, thanks. I've really enjoyed talking about it. It's it's helped me uh, kind of go back and see what I've done right and what I've done wrong uh, and really change what I'm doing in 2022. So it's been uh, very good. Amazing. Well, I appreciate it. And I guess I will have a good rest of your day and we will. I'm sure I'll talk to you now in a meeting of some sort. Yes, (laughs) probably. Thanks for listening to this episode of Poolside Podcast. I hope you learned a lot about YouTube. I know I did when I was talking to him and now I am all inspired to record a YouTube video today. Not that I do gaming or anything that he does, but I feel like YouTube is just a fun place. And if you can put the time in to create the videos, then I think you can be successful at it. So maybe we should all jump into our YouTube career. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, I appreciate it. If you left a rating and review on the podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this. Um, Subscribing would be great. Also follow along on Instagram for social media marketing tips at Poolside Digital, as well as my personal account, Almost Famous with two Fs. And I will see you next week. Bye.